We're going to be in Exodus chapter 11 tonight, Exodus chapter 11, but I'm going to ask you to turn first to Genesis chapter 15. And we're going to go through, uh, read just a little bit of passages, kind of backtracking on where we've been and seeing what God has said and seeing what God's going to do. And so uh, we're going to be in Exodus 11, but I want to start reading a few verses out of Genesis 15. We've read from this passage a few times. It helps uh, keep our focus on the fact that God's in control, that God already knew before it ever happened. And so let's look at Exodus or Genesis, excuse me, Genesis chapter 15, and let's read together in verse number 12. Just want to briefly read a few verses here to set the stage. Genesis chapter 15, verse 12 says, and when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram and lo, and horror of great darkness fell upon him. And he said unto Abram, know of a surety that thy seed shall be a stranger in a land that is not theirs and shall serve them and they shall afflict them 400 years. And also that nation whom they shall serve will I judge. And afterward shall they come out with great substance and thou shalt go to thy fathers in peace. Thou shalt be buried in a good old age. But in the fourth generation, they shall come hither again. For the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. Just want to point out a couple of things. Verse 14, that nation whom they shall serve, will I judge? So God has told Abraham long before Exodus ever comes about, I'm going to judge the nation that afflicts them. But then he also says, that they're going to come out afterwards with great substance. Now let's go to Exodus chapter three, Exodus chapter three. And I want you to look with me in Exodus chapter three, verse 19. God's speaking to Moses and he says, and I am sure that the king of Egypt will not let you go. No, not by a mighty hand. God's telling him, no matter what I do, Pharaoh's not going to let you go. It doesn't matter what I do. (laughs) He's that stubborn of heart. So verse 20, God says, and I will stretch out my hand and smite Egypt with all my wonders, which I will do in the midst thereof. And after that, he will let you go. And I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians, and it shall come to pass that when ye go, ye shall not go empty. But every woman shall borrow of her neighbor and of her that sojourneth in her house jewels of silver and jewels of gold and raiment. And ye shall put them upon your sons and upon your daughters, and ye shall spoil the Egyptians. In other words, like he told Abraham, when you come out, you're not going out empty. You're going to come out with great substance, great substance. And of course, God tells Moses, Pharaoh's not going to let you go. And so I'm going to pour out my judgment upon him. Now look at chapter four and verse 22. And thou shalt say unto Pharaoh, thus saith the Lord, Israel is my son even my firstborn. And I say unto thee, let my son go that he may serve me. And if thou refuse to let him go, behold, I will slay thy son, even thy 
firstborn. So now God has told Pharaoh what's going to happen. If you don't let my people go, I'm going to execute justice upon your son because Israel is my son. Now let's go to our text in chapter 11. Exodus chapter 11, verse 1. And the Lord said unto Moses, Yet will I bring one plague more upon Pharaoh and upon Egypt. Afterwards, he will let you go hence. Do you see how, do you see the parallels here in the text that we've read? He told Abraham that they're going to serve them, but afterward, I'm going to judge them, and afterward, they're going to come out with great substance. And so he says here, now after this, after this final plague, he will let you go hence. When he shall let you go, he shall surely thrust you out hence altogether. Speak now in the ears of the people and let every man borrow of his neighbor and every woman of her neighbor jewels of silver and jewels of gold. And the Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. Moreover, the man Moses was very great in the land of Egypt, in the sight of Pharaoh's servants, and in the sight of the people. And so you see there again, he mentions that they're going to come out with jewels of gold. They're going to come out with great substance. In the next chapter, we'll see that they do spoil the Egyptians. And so you see a pattern here that what God has said, God does. What God has said comes to pass. Let's look at verse five or verse four. And Moses said, thus saith the Lord about midnight, I will go out into the midst of Egypt and all the firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die from the firstborn of Pharaoh that sitteth upon his throne, even unto the firstborn of the maiden maidservant that is behind the mill and all the firstborn of beasts. And there shall be a great cry throughout all the land of Egypt such as there was none like it, nor shall be like it any more. But against the children of Israel shall not a dog move his tongue against man or beast, that ye may know how the Lord doth put a difference between the Egyptians and Israel. And all these thy servants shall come down unto me and bow down themselves unto me, saying, Get thee out and all the people that follow thee. And after that I will go out. And he went out from Pharaoh in a great anger. Now what's, what's going on here is the first several verses is kind of a, a recap, almost a parenthesis, where chapter 10 left off as Moses was before Pharaoh, and Pharaoh said, I don't ever want to see you again. And so now it picks up in verse 4 when it says, And Moses said, Thus saith the Lord. He's talking to Pharaoh again, and he's giving the final warning from God to Pharaoh of what's going to happen. And so he says that, he goes out from Pharaoh in a great anger. Verse 9. And the Lord said unto Moses, Pharaoh shall not hearken unto you, that my wonders may be multiplied in the land of Egypt. And Moses and Aaron did all these wonders before Pharaoh, and the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart so that he would not let the children of Israel go out of his land. The title of our message tonight is this, Unheeded Warnings unheeded warnings. And so we'll uh, consider what God has for us here tonight. When we moved to Colorado all the way back in 1995, 
We lived in a townhome across the field from a park, and they built a hockey rink at that park, and so my brother and I would spend a lot of nights uh, playing roller hockey over at this park. And right above the hockey rink was a tornado siren, back when we used to have those here. And they would test this thing every single Monday, you know, and it'd be loud and squealy and you could hear it everywhere and it'd play for a couple minutes and then it would finish and you would have the, the guy comes on there and says, this is a test, a test of the emergency warning system. And then he'd repeat it in Spanish. The first Spanish words that I ever learned was how to <laughs> do a warning test. And so that's what we had, the siren. Well, I remember one time in particular, I mean, we rarely ever had to have tornadoes here on the front range, as you know. And, and so whenever we would hear this siren going off, we would pretty much just cover our ears. You know, we, it was just loud and obnoxious. We never expected a tornado to come. But I can remember one night in particular that uh, there's a storm brewing outside, lightning, rain, and all that. I was at home with my mom, and, and all of a sudden we start hearing the tornado siren going off. <laughs> And so we go outside, and my brother was over playing hockey at the rink with his friends. And so we go over by this uh, fence, and you got the field, and then the hockey rink is over there. And, and we're, we're standing out there, and you've got the tornado sirens blaring. You look up, and there's the lightning, and it's pouring rain, and the clouds are swirling. I mean, everything about this is saying, we might have a problem here. And as we look out there to my brother, he and all his friends, and they were probably, I don't know, in about sixth grade, maybe seventh grade at this time, they're all out there on the rink, rain pouring down on them, lightning flashing all around, and they're just on their knees covering their ears. <laughs> Like nothing's going on, nothing's happening, you know? And then I remember my mom hollering over there, y'all need to get home, it's a tornado warning. And then they're rushing home and everything. And fortunately, uh, while we did see some circulation in the sky, we never saw a tornado come down. But every single year, tornado sirens go off and the warnings go unheeded. That people ignore them. People cover their ears. They act like they're not there. You always come to the place where you say, well, it's not going to get us. I mean, we have these sirens all the time. It's probably miles away. It's probably out in the country or you know where the tornadoes consistently go through. And so you don't think it's going to happen. So you just ignore the warnings. You don't take shelter. But listen, in a moment's time, their lives are taken in that tornado. Happens every single Year And the reason why is because the warnings go unheeded. In Exodus chapter 4, God sent Moses and gave Pharaoh a stern warning that Israel is my firstborn. And if you don't let my firstborn go, I will slay your firstborn. And instead of Pharaoh heeding God's warning and letting Israel go, Pharaoh simply covered his ears he said, I don't know who the Lord is. I don't care what the Lord says. I'm not letting Israel go. And so he ignored God's warnings. And God then sent a series of plagues, nine plagues thus far. He sent the water, turned the water into blood. He sent the frogs. He turned the rod into a staff. He's uh, sent the lice and he sent the flies and he sent the hail and the boil and the lightnings and thunderings. And he sent the, the, the uh, moraine, the disease amongst the cattle. And, and, and he sent the darkness. <laughs> he sent plague after plague after plague. 
And all of those plagues were warning signs to Pharaoh because God would send Moses to him and say, let my people go or else this is going to happen. Let my people go or this is going to happen. And what Pharaoh constantly did in in the hearing of those warnings was, nope, I'm not going to let you go. I'm in control here. I know what's going to happen. And he refused to heed the warnings. And now as we come to chapter 11, it's too late. This is not a warning any longer. It's an announcement. See, God already sounded the warning. He said, if you don't let Israel, my firstborn son go, then I'm going to slay your firstborn son. That was the warning. God was sounding the alarm. But because Pharaoh continued to ignore ignore God's warnings, you know what happens to follow warnings? Announcements. You flip on, the sirens have been going off. You flip on the news. And what happens is they say, you're in a warning right now. You need to take shelter right now. And that tornado comes and it's too late. And that's what's going on with Pharaoh right now. I wonder tonight, what warning is God sounding in your life right now? What warning is he sounding? Uh, What is the announcement that God is bringing to your life? Uh, What is the alarm that God has going off in your life right now? He might be warning you about a toxic relationship that you're involved in. Or perhaps a toxic friendship that you have. He might be warning you about a gambling addiction. He might be sounding the alarm about anger. He might be warning you about taking steps in your life that are leading you away from him. He might be sounding the alarm tonight about a a problem with alcohol or a problem with drugs, and he's warning you tonight. It might be that God is sounding the alarm about your eternal soul and the judgment that you might face if you do not accept Jesus Christ as your Savior. It's possible that instead of heeding those warnings and doing what God says, that you've got your hands over your ears. It might be that you're ignoring what God is telling you to do, that you're not paying any attention to him, that you're not giving any any care to what God is warning you about. But listen, I'm thankful for the mercy of God. I'm thankful that he doesn't just bring judgment to us without offering mercy, without warning us, without telling us what's going to happen If we don't do what he says, he doesn't just storm in and act without first warning us and calling us to repentance. What our text tonight, the message that that comes from Pharaoh's life to ours is that you ought to heed the warnings of God because God is true to his word. That what God says, God does What God says is going to come to pass does in fact come to pass. We see it time and time again that God said all the way back centuries prior to Israel ever being in Egypt, he told uh, Abraham that your children, your descendants are going to go into a nation that's not theirs and they're going to serve them and they're going to be afflicted, but I'm going to judge that nation and I'm going to bring them out with great substance. And you know what happens in chapter 11, 12, and 13? God does exactly what he said he would do. And what exactly God said is what comes to pass. He's true to his word. Well, in what ways is God God true to his word? I want to show you, first of all, that God is true to his word when it comes to redemption. (laughs) 
And for that, we ought to thank God. We ought to praise him that when it comes to our redemption, he's going to be true to his word. He's going to do what he says. See, God is going to deal uh, one final blow to the Egyptians. And after this blow, Pharaoh's finally going to let Israel go. It took all these strikes, but he says that he's going to be so hurried to get you out of here that he's going to thrust you out. He's going to run you out of town. He's going to push you out of town. And so what God does is he tells the people uh, in, in verse number two that Moses is supposed to speak in the ears of the people. and He's to let them uh, borrow uh, of their neighbor, every woman uh, of their neighbor, jewels of silver and jewels of gold. And they're going to ask for clothes as well. Now, let's understand this. When it comes to uh, the borrowing here, it doesn't mean that they're stealing from them. It's a word that simply means to ask, that they're, they're going to ask him the way that you would go to a neighbor and say, hey, can I borrow some milk? Can I borrow some butter? Are you actually going to expect to give that back? <laughs> no, you're going to use that milk. You're going to use that butter. You're going to cook it. And so you don't, you know what you're saying there. I'm not really going to bring it back to you. I'm not going to, you know, make it come back out of the cooking. You know, it's, it's going to be gone. That's what this word borrow means, that they're simply asking, hey, hey, on our way out, can, can we have some gold? Can we have some silver? Can we have some, some clothes? And God gives them favor in the sight of the people, and they're going to just give them whatever they want as they rush this people out of town. He gives them favor. It says that, they're, uh, that they are going to leave Egypt with great substance, is what God told Abraham. See, and then he gives uh, Moses favor in everyone's sight. I mean, Moses has taken quite a few steps here where Israel wanted to put him on the chopping block. But now as they've seen the plagues, they have believed. And the Egyptians, many of them have believed. And now Pharaoh is in wonder at Moses. And so now Moses has ascended to being this great leader by the power and grace of God. But what we see here is that it was all part of God's plan going all the way back to Abraham. That God promised him they are going to go and they are going to be strangers in a land that's not theirs. And they are going to serve this strange nation and that nation is going to afflict them. But he says, I'm going to bring them out with great substance. And that's exactly what God is doing here. In Exodus 3, God told Moses that he's not, Pharaoh's not going to let them go, not with a mighty hand. And he says that I'm going to harden his heart and I'm going to plague his people to show them who I am. And that's exactly what God has done. He's going to get them to the point where they're going to rush out of the land with silver and gold and clothes and with great substance. What this tells us is this, every single promise of redemption that God has given to Israel, God has fulfilled or he is about to fulfill in the next chapter. He's going to deal this final blow. Pharaoh's going to let Israel go just as God had said. And what that tells us is this, that God's work today is validated by his work in the past. Whenever you get a new job, you're going to submit your resume. And on that resume, you're going to put in your past work experience. You're going to put in some qualifications, maybe some accomplishments, maybe uh, some, some talent, some skills, some experience. You're going to lay all that out there. And the boss is going to take your, your resume and they're going to comb through that. And they're going to determine based off your resume, whether or not ba based off your past experience, if you're going to work well for them today. Well, listen, God has a long an impressive 
resume of his work of redemption, of the way that he has worked in the past, that God has fulfilled promise after promise to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and to Moses and and Israel, and he's made promises of redemption to us today. He promised to send a savior. That's what we've been seeing in the book of Genesis and Exodus is God's promise to use the nation of Israel to send a savior who will pay the price for man's sin. That this savior is going to be a suffering savior. That he's going to be wounded for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquities. And the chastisement of our peace is going to be on him. That he's going to cry out in the Psalms, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Not a bone of him shall be broken. And you're going to see all these verses after verses after verses that prophesy of a coming savior and that savior came and he died in your place and he died in my place and shed his blood to pay the price for our sin so that we could be forgiven so that we could have redemption all of that was promised and it's all been fulfilled and the promise today is that if you will repent of your sin and place your faith in Jesus and call on him to be your savior you will be saved that's his promise for us who, who believe, we have the promise to uh, that we have the promise of the forgiveness of sins and adoption into God's family and peace with God and access to God and eternal life and a mansion in heaven and an incorruptible inheritance uh, with God. We have the promise to escape suffering and death to be raptured into glory, to reign with Christ in his kingdom. And there can be times in our lives as we're looking at the suffering that we go through today and we're looking at the downward spiral of society today and and how challenging life is. And we can look around and just say, man, it's been 2000 years. Are we sure he's still coming back? Are we sure that this is really real? Well, listen, just as you could look back at the word of God, you see his past work in redemption and the things he promised to Abraham and fulfilled for Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And right here, how he made these promises to deliver Israel, to redeem them from Egyptian bondage. You know what happened? He did it. You can look back at his long resume of his redemptive work and promise after promise that's been fulfilled. And you can be assured of this, that based on his past work, he's still going to work today. That his promise is still going to be fulfilled at some point today. That we do still have that future hope of eternal life. That we do have the hope to escape the suffering and pain that we experience around us today. There is hope in Jesus Christ. And we find it because the resume of God is very long in his work of redemption. He's true to his word in redemption and he'll be true to redeem you. And so that's true when it comes to his redemption, but we also need to see this, that it's also true. He's also true to his word when it comes to judgment. Moses continues his final speech here with Pharaoh in uh, verse number four. He says, thus saith the Lord about midnight, I will go out into the midst of Egypt and all the firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die from the firstborn of Pharaoh that sitteth upon his throne, even unto the firstborn of the maidservant that is behind the mill and all the firstborn of beast. And there shall be a great cry throughout all the land of Egypt, such as there was none like it, nor shall be like it any more. But against any of the children of Israel shall not a dog move his tongue. That means that a dog's not, you're not even going to hear the bark of a dog 
in the camp of Israel while this cry is going on in Egypt. The firstborn's going to die. What's the significance of the firstborn? Well, we know in Jewish culture, the firstborn is going to be the one who receives the double portion. That he's the one who carries on the family name and carries on the family inheritance. And so there is significant value to him. But in, in Egypt, and particularly with Pharaoh, there's even a greater significance uh, to the firstborn. And that is this, that it was believed in Egypt that Pharaoh was the son of God, the son of the god Amon-Re. And so because he, that, that basically when Amon-Re left, that he left his power and his purposes in the hands of the Pharaohs. And so you had this uh, lineal, uh, this line of kings, the pharaohs. And so we've already seen that uh, that one pharaoh has passed away. This pharaoh that's on the scene is the one that Moses would have grown up with. That he sat upon the throne of his father. That he took the place as the son of God. He was worshipped as God by the people. He claimed to be God before the people. And so when you consider his firstborn son, it says that sitteth upon his throne. That means that his firstborn son is also revered by all the people as the son of God. That Pharaoh is God and his son is the son of God. And so there's tremendous significance to the Egyptian people there. But, but it, it, and so when God takes the life of Pharaoh's firstborn son, what it's displaying is this, I am more powerful than whatever they say their God is. That if I'm able to kill the son of God, then I must be more powerful than their God. But listen, God does not do something like this simply to display his power. There's something greater at work here. The, you think about the Egyptians. Again, people want to look at the Egyptians. And they want to say, well, this is cruel. This is mean of God. Why would he kill these firstborns uh, for the sake of one man's sin? But we've got to remember that it's not just Pharaoh who is guilty of what they did to Israel. That Pharaoh said that the midwives, they're supposed to, when they deliver these babies, they're supposed to drown them in the basin. Basically a post-term abortion. And then when that wasn't working to control the population, then Pharaoh assigned all the people, all the people were to take any Hebrew baby that they found and they were to cast that baby into the river. You know what that means? All the people were involved in it. That's not just the sins of Pharaoh. It's the sins of the entire people of Egypt. And you know what happened when they cast those babies into the river? Imagine what that did to the parents of Israel. The grief that that brought to them. The pain, the sorrow, the agony, the hurt. I mean, it, it had to be excruciating. That you have all this excitement of having a baby just for somebody to grab your baby out of your hands and drown that baby in the Nile River. That's awful. What God is doing by this is we've got to remember, he's not just saying the firstborn of the babies. This is the firstborn across the board. This means that every single house is going to suffer the death of a firstborn. It might be an elderly, it might be an adult, it might be a teenager, it might be a baby, but the firstborn all across the board are going to die. And here's what's happening, that just as the Israelite parents all across the board dealt with this severe pain and agony of losing a child, God is going to see to it that every person in Egypt also has to experience the pain of losing a child. What we see here is justice. 
And that's who God is. And that may not, that may not feel good in the face of society. And we're going to talk a little bit more about this over the next couple weeks about God's justice and all this. But the reality is this. God says if man sheds blood, his life is to be shed by man. Man sheds blood, his blood is to be shed by man. And so God believes in capital punishment. God issues out exact justice. But it goes even deeper than that. Because in Exodus chapter 4, what did God tell Pharaoh? Israel is my son, my firstborn son. You know what that means? That means that as those Egyptians were throwing those babies into the Nile River, it was like they were throwing God's baby into the Nile River. When God saw the children of Israel writhing in agony and pain for the loss of their children, God was writhing in pain for the loss of their children and the pain they were experiencing. That what Pharaoh did affected God's heart the same way it would affect a father. He's saying, this is my son, my firstborn son. You have afflicted them. You have hurt them. You have killed them. And we've seen in the book of Exodus, their cries came up to their father, God. And God says, and now here's what's happening. Pharaoh, you think you're God? You have afflicted my firstborn? I will slay your firstborn. You, as the quote unquote God of Egypt, will experience the same pain that the God of Israel has felt over the pain and the loss of his children. So rather than seeing God's cruelty, here's what we see God's justice. That all across the board, God is issuing out simply what they have done to him and his people. But there's a difference between Pharaoh and God. And that is this. God is merciful, but Pharaoh is not. Pharaoh was merciless in what he did. There was no warning. He just told the midwives, go ahead and kill the children. He told the people, go ahead and throw them into the river. He told his taskmasters, make life harder on them. Make it miserable. There was no warning. There was no chance out of it. All they had to do was they were subjected to whatever Pharaoh wanted to do, but that's not what God did. What did God do? He warned Pharaoh, let my people go or else your firstborn is going to die. Pharaoh said no, and God could have taken out the firstborn right then. But what did God do? He sent Moses in there to turn a rod into a snake. And he had Moses turn water into blood, and he still wouldn't believe. And he had him bring the frogs, and he had him bring the flies, and the lice, and the boils, and the disease, and the hail, and he had him bring the darkness. I mean, plague after plague after plague after plague. God brought nine, let me say it this way, warning signs, big old warning signs to Pharaoh that, hey, if you do not do what I have said, this is what is coming. And so God was actually merciful. His warning signs were his mercy toward Pharaoh. And yet Pharaoh continued to deny what God was telling him. He ignored the warning signs. He covered his ears when the alarm was sounding. And as a result, the final judgment's now to come. 
In other words, God's going to do what he said he would do. God's true to his word in judgment, but he's merciful in warning. A couple weeks ago, I was driving down Iris and was going to turn left on, on uh, 28th Street, and I was in the turn lane. There's a car in front of me. Our light turned green, and the lady in front of me turned left, but instead of going to the right of the median, she turned to the left of the median, going right into oncoming traffic. That's not good. Now, fortunately, nobody was coming. The light had just already passed and gone through, so she was able to get through and get back over in the right lane. You could tell she was a little scatterbrained and, and you know, freaking out over that, and rightfully so. Uh, but you know, when you're going down 119 here, if you happen to be on the left side, you see these big red rectangular signs with big white letters that says wrong way. <laughs> you know what that is? It's a warning sign. <laughs> it's saying, hey, if you keep going down this way, you're going to crash. If you keep going down this way, then you're going to, uh, you and your vehicle is going to be destroyed. <laughs> And so you need to get off the wrong side of the road and get back onto the right side of the road. You got the warning sign right there. But listen, if you ignore that warning sign, when you crash, you have only yourself to blame. God has given Pharaoh 10 warning signs at this point to say you are on the wrong side of God. And on the wrong side of God, there's going to be a head-on collision. On the wrong side of God, there's going to be judgment on you and your people. If you all stay on the wrong side of God, you need to get back on the right side of God or else you're going to face his judgment. But instead of taking heed to the warning signs, Pharaoh just continued on this collision course with God and he's going to come to find out that God is true to his word in judgment. He ignores the warning signs and he's about to face the biggest collision of his life. Listen, God has given us his word that is full of warning signs. Big red ones, maybe even flashing lights like at a railroad crossing that says you better stop. You better get on the right side of God. He gives us warnings like flee fornication. He gives us uh, warnings like, don't look on the wine when it's red. At the last, it biteth like a serpent, stingeth or stingeth like a serpent, and biteth like a serpent, and stingeth like an adder. It's not good for you. He gives you warnings about anger. Be angry and sin not. He gives us warnings about going out in the streets at night with a strange woman. He gives warning after warning of pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. And these are big red signs that are saying you're going the wrong way, that your life is on, uh, let me paint this picture better, your life is on the wrong side of the road, that you're headed for a collision course. You're about to run flat into something that's going to ruin your life, that's going to destroy your life, and God is flashing the warning sign. And if you keep on going that way, you have only yourself to blame when the collision happens. You can't blame God for the judgment you bring upon yourself like Pharaoh is here. Perhaps the biggest warning sign is this, for the wages of sin is death, but not just a physical death a spiritual death separated from God for all eternity in a place called hell, facing the wrath and condemnation of God forever. There is no end to that. 
And God is warning you that if you continue on this road that you're on, and if you do not accept my son and the price that he paid and the blood that he shed for your sin, then you're going to be heading down this collision course to destruction and eventually you will face the judgment of God. He's warning you. He's warning you. But his warning signs are also his mercy. Because he doesn't just let us go our own way straight to hell without warning us of that judgment to come, but also without providing us with a means of salvation. He's going to save Israel from this because we got to understand this. They too are going to fall under the penalty of death because they're guilty as well. They're idolaters as well. But God is going to tell them, if you'll kill this lamb and you'll brush its blood over your doorpost, then I will pass over you. You'll escape my judgment by applying the blood of the lamb. And he's done the same thing for us today. He sent Jesus Christ, the savior of the world, the lamb of God, which taken away the sin of the world. And he shed his blood. And by faith, you place your faith in him. That blood is applied to you and God's judgment passes over you. If you'll accept Christ as your savior. We're, we're about to get to some good stuff here. It doesn't sound good right now as we're dealing with this 10th plague. But here's what we're going to see. There were some Egyptians who believed. And there were some Africans who believed. And there were some Palestinians who believed. Because a mixed multitude, an ethnically diverse crowd goes up along with the Israelites. And God's going to give instructions as to how they can become a part of the people of God. And how they can be saved and begin to participate in the service of God as well. And so God is going to bring some redemption. But understand, if you don't receive his redemption, if you don't accept his mercy, you will face his judgment. Why? Because he's true to his word. What he says will happen will come to pass. I think of different verses. What did Jesus say? Except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. When you look at, um, let, me, let me look at this other verse here. Uh, it's uh, Revelation, I believe, Revelation chapter 16. Uh, um, it talks about how God's going to bring plagues At the end of time, during the tribulation period, God's going to bring plagues. Listen to these. Water is going to turn to blood. Grievous sores are going to be on men. Hail, fire, and thunder, earthquakes, darkness, frogs. Any of this sound familiar? We're talking about just as sure as God brought the plagues upon Egypt, just like he said he would. God has said during the tribulation period, these plagues are coming back and they're not just going to plague Egypt. They're going to plague the entire world of unbelievers. And if God was true to his word back in Exodus, don't you know that God is going to be true to his word in the tribulation? And what that means is when God says my judgment is coming, God's judgment is going to come. He's true to his word in judgment. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 11, uh, Paul is describing the events accounted in the book of Exodus and the book of Numbers, and, and he says this, these things were written for our admonition. You know what that word means? To warn us. They were written to warn us of what? Of how we ought to live before God today. 
Why? Because judgment falls on those who do not live for God and live in obedience. And so the Bible has given us clear warnings from God that are like big, red, wrong way signs. And yet oftentimes we live as though it's not really a big deal. You can have the tendency to completely ignore what God says and think, well, it's just one glance. It's just one sip. It's just one hit. It's just one night. And you can go on in your life totally ignoring God's warning signs, not thinking God's going to do anything about it. You can hear the tornado sirens of God going off and you can just cover your ears and say, it doesn't apply to me. And then boom, it hits. And the judgment of God falls. See, God's word is true in redemption, but it's also true in judgment. So what do we do? What should Pharaoh have done here? I mean, God proved himself to Pharaoh to be true to his word time and time again, and yet he still ignored God's warning. But because God is true to his word, Pharaoh should have heeded God's warning. And the same thing is true in our lives, that we need to heed the warnings of Scripture lest we face the judgment of God. That hell is a real place, and all who die in their sin will spend eternity in hell. It is true, just as everything else he's written has come to pass up to this point. It's all true, and there's no reason not to believe it. He hasn't given you a reason not to believe it. Why? Because every time he said, judgment's going to come, judgment came. He was true to his word. But if God's judgment is true, it also means his redemption is true. That means that Jesus did come and he did die in your place and he will forgive your sin and he will save your soul if you'll heed the warning and repent of your sin and place your faith in Jesus and call on him to save you, you will be saved. You won't have to face judgment He'll pass over you just like he's going to with the Israelites and with others who applied the blood. And so you should heed God's warnings because God is true to his word. I wonder tonight, what warning signs are you ignoring right now? In your time of reading God's word, what's he trying to talk to you about? that you're just covering your ears over. It could be about your lust, that he's warning you that, hey, you keep looking at these things and you're gonna go down a path you never thought you'd ever go down until you crash. And he's sounding the alarm. And some are thinking, no, it won't hit me like that. No, I'll just keep going the way that I'm going. I'll be fine. I can resist. I can do this. I can do that. No, 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 no. You keep going down that road, ignoring the warning signs, eventually you're going to hit a head-on collision. It's going to mess up your life, mess up your family, mess up your future. Some of you think, well, I've just always been angry. My parents were angry. My, my mom was angry. My grandma was angry. I mean, everyone in my life was, was angry. And I know what the Bible says about anger. And I know how the tongue is a world of iniquity and that it spreads like wildfire and can burn down everything inside. I get what the Bible says about that, but it won't happen to me. It won't happen to me. It's fine. It's just who I am. No. Eventually that anger will hit the wrong person at the wrong time. And before you know it, your family's destroyed. You end up in jail. You're in a drunken brawl. Who knows what would happen? All we know is this. The Bible warns us 
it flashes big red signs at us that says, you need to get off this side of the road and you need to get back on the right side of God. But here's the good news. Because Jesus came and died, if you will repent of your sin, if you'll acknowledge it and just say, God's warning me, I've been ignoring it. God, I'm wrong. You're right. This is going to ruin my life. I repent and you fall before him and you seek forgiveness. The Bible says he is faithful and just to forgive you of your sin and to cleanse you of all unrighteousness. And Jesus can pick you up and he can set you back on the right side of God to where you don't have to fear his judgment to come in your life. Do you want to know how wonderful it is not to live in fear of whether your wife is going to see what you're looking at on your phone? Do you know how peaceful it is to be able to come home to your family and not go off at them and have a peaceful relationship at home? Do you know how nice it is to, to not worry that your boss is going to catch you embezzling funds, stealing time, stealing money out of the cash register? See, when you live in sin and you ignore the warning signs, you're going to constantly be surrounded by fear of what's going to happen. Why don't you just quit ignoring the warning signs and repent and get on your knees before God and seek forgiveness and the blood of Christ will cover every one of your sins and you can get back on the right side of God and enjoy a good relationship with God and enjoy the cruise down life with him. I'm not saying it's all going to be easy. You're going to hit unexpected speed bumps along the way, but at least it won't be the judgment of God falling on you. Listen, God does what he says. He's true to his word. And because he's true to his word, you need to heed his warnings in your life. Don't ignore them. Don't plug your ears. Don't think it won't hit you. No, just get right with God. Thank God his redemption's true. That just as his judgment is true, his redemption is true. And we ought to thank him for forgiveness. But let's just live our lives Instead of ending up in situations like Pharaoh, let's live our lives listening for his voice, heeding his warnings, and being in obedience to him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. And Lord, we can look at this and see the severity of your judgment. And, but the severity of your judgment speaks to the severity of our sin that if it's really that bad, how egregious must our sin be in your eyes? And yet the mercy and grace is in spite of how egregious that sin is in your sight. You've provided us with an innocent, spotless blood of your son that can cleanse us from sin, that can free us from the guilt Free us from the condemnation. Deliver us from the judgment. And I pray that you would help each of us, Lord, to heed your warnings, that however you might be speaking to us, we would respond in faith and simply take your word as true, knowing that you're true to your word. And so would you please speak to our hearts, help us to respond in Jesus' name, amen.